But here, here are some of the gems that I ran across here in Ecclesiastes. For the living know they will die, but the dead don't know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. And so there's this gem. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed. That makes you feel good, doesn't it? But there are some truths, too, some hard truths, some real truths. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. Well, that's true. You ain't taking it with you. I mean, that awesome gun collection you got, your kids are going to get it. All those cool classic cars, um, they're probably going to get sold off so that they can turn it into cash. We can't take it with us. It's a truth. We don't necessarily like to talk about it, but it's a truth. So the book of Ecclesiastes is attributed to King Solomon. The author identifies himself as a son of David and a Jewish king. And throughout it sort of refers to himself as sort of the king who had it all. And so this, this book is ascribed to Solomon. But, but scholars will tell you the style of the Hebrew that is used really didn't exist for about 200 years before the, after, sorry, after the time of King Solomon. And, and so it was probably somebody who was writing as if he were King Solomon, sort of putting words in King Solomon's mouth. So it would be sort of like saying, William Shakespeare wrote Gone with the Wind. So, I mean, it's just the stylistic differences are that, that much. And so um, we, we read this um, understanding that it's probably not actually Solomon, but somebody writing his name, which way back in the day wasn't the horrible thing that we think it is today. So, so we're reading uh, from the message uh, today, and um, we'll talk some more about this, but I find the message to be helpful, especially with um, sort of hard to understand, in particular, Old Testament passages. Um, <clears throat> Eugene Peterson, who put that together, uh, I think has done a really good job of sort of conveying the intention here. So our reading comes from the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. And then I took a hard look at what's smart and what's stupid. I mean, what's left to do after you've been king? That's a hard act to follow. You just do what you can and that's it. But I did see that it's better to be smart than stupid, just as light is better than darkness. Even so, though the smart ones see where they're going and the stupid ones grope in the dark, they're all the same in the end. One fate for all, and that's it. When I realized that my fate's the same as the fool's, I had to ask myself, so why bother being wise? It's all smoke, nothing but smoke. The smart and the stupid both disappear out of sight. In a day or two, they're both forgotten. Yes, both the smart and the stupid die, and that's it. I hate life. 
As far as I can see, what happens on earth is a bad business. It's smoke and spitting into the wind. And I hated everything I'd accomplished and accumulated on this earth. I can't take it with me. No, I have to leave it to whoever comes after me. Whether they're worthy or worthless, who's to tell? They will take over the earthly results of my intense thinking and hard work. Smoke. Woo! Go Jesus, right? I mean, that makes you want to go eat fire. So let me just say something first. So this translation that we're reading, it's a paraphrase. And it's important that you know when you're reading Scripture what you're reading. So the NIV and the NRSV and most of the other translations that you read are word-for-word translations. A paraphrase is the author trying to convey the gist of the message to you. And I would suggest to you that if you're doing study of the Bible, um, a word-for-word translation is a better choice than a paraphrase. Uh, Another paraphrase that you might be familiar with, those of you that saw the 70s, is the Living Bible. That also is a paraphrase. So, and there's nothing wrong with a paraphrase, but if you're doing study, the word-for-word translation is probably a better piece. But I will tell you, I think Eugene Peterson does a really good job of conveying sort of the intent. So the author here is sort of vexed by his mortality. He's like, hey, you know, we all die. I mean, whether I've worked hard in my life or I've done nothing in my life, we're all dead. And he, and throughout the book, is sort of particularly um, concerned about being forgotten. I mean, we're all remembered maybe two or three generations and we're gone. So, so he's vexed by his mortality. And let me just remind you that, that Judaism has evolved over time. So at, at this point in Judaism, dead is dead. I mean, you kind of like went to Sheol and just sort of like laid around. You were just dead. It wasn't until about 100 B.C. that this idea of a resurrection when the Messiah came, came about for the Jews. So, so the author is just talking about, we're gone. And, and there's, there's, there's nothing here. So, and then he goes on to talk about this, this realization that I bust my behind in my life and I accumulate all of these things and I can't take it with me. Even worse, it sounds like, my kids are going to get it. Whether they're worthy or not, my kids are going to get all that I have labored for. And then he goes on to say, I hate life. I hate life. It's all smoke. So in other translations, 38 times the author uses this word vanity. 
And, and the Hebrew word that we translate as vanity is vapor, <coughs> smoke. It's as if you have something in your hand and it just disappears. And, and so this author saying, I hate life. <coughs> so sorry, got a little tickle in my throat. <coughs> so let's be honest, at least with yourself. You ever said those words? <coughs> I hate life. I hate my life. <clears throat> I hate coughing. <clears throat> so, about one year ago, we were in the early phases of the shutdown. <clears throat> my whole family was at my house. Um, and I don't know how it was for you. Now, I didn't have a church. So, when I went to the shutdown, <clears throat> I didn't immediately go to, oh my God, how, how am I going to get my church? How am I going to make payroll? That was not on my list of concerns, like my brothers and sisters that were leading churches at the time. So, the first two weeks for the Tyson family was kind of like a vacation. <clears throat> it's like, woo! And we were okay. And we, we had plenty of beverages. We had plenty of food. <clears throat> we even had plenty of toilet paper. And it was kind of like a vacation. But it just it kept going on, right? And, and I got to about week three. Now, mind you, I've got my beautiful wife. I've got my beautiful children, their spouses. <clears throat> I'm sitting in this beautiful house with all this food, all these beverages, and you know what words came out of my mouth? I hate life. I mean, I have all of these things, and I'm saying I hate life. I'm sure none of you have ever had any moments like that. And, you know, I read what King Solomon in this, or the author, is talking about. And, you know, it might be more understandable for him to hate life. He was like a pauper or something, a homeless person. But no, I mean, this is King Solomon, the richest, wisest king in all of history. And he's saying, I hate life. Now, understand, I'm not comparing myself to any kind of a King Solomon. But I'm surrounded by all of these things. And yet, the words, I hate this, this stinks, come out of my mouth. So, so what does the author of Ecclesiastes <clears throat> and Mike Tyson have in common? Yes, we both need a kick in the pants. But more importantly, we need Easter. We need Easter. Now, unlike the author of Ecclesiastes, we live on this side of Easter. We know that the tomb was empty. We know that we serve a resurrected God.
the author of Ecclesiastes, needed Easter. Because the fact is, what happens in this world is not what life is about. Because of Easter, our life is really just the beginning. It's the start of something new and different when we leave this earth. The author of Ecclesiastes talks about all of these things, talks about earthly possessions, talks about wisdom, talks about it all being smoke because we just die. The truth of it is, all of those things that we accumulate in our life don't matter. It's how we live our life for our resurrected Lord. It's about us doing God's will. It's about us serving our neighbor. It's about love. It's about grace. It's about holding on to the idea that just what happens in this world is not the end. Unlike the author, we know that the tomb is empty. You know, our culture tries to tell us what's important. Our culture tries to tell us what we should buy, what we should drive. Oh, you'll be really an awesome dude if you wear this shirt or you have this car. That's the smoke, y'all. That's the unimportant stuff. Our life is about making memories of love and leaving that with our loved ones. Our life it's about serving a risen Savior, one that died that we might be forgiven. <clears throat> what this text actually tells us on this side of Easter, these things that culture is telling us are important, that's not what life is about. It's about love. It's about grace. It's about redemption. It's about forgiveness. Because the truth is, as followers of Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. So there's this old preacher's story. Some of you probably have heard it, but it's still a really good one, so I'm going to tell it anyway. So there was a woman <clears throat> that was given a terminal diagnosis. And so she called her preacher to the house and said, Preacher, I need you to come to the house. I'm, I'm going to be passing away soon. And she began to give him some instructions. This is the songs I want sung. This is what my service I want to look like. <clears throat> Help my children do this. Oh, and by the way, when you bury me, I want you to put a fork in my hand. I want you to open the casket and you have, make sure that there is a fork in my hand. And the preacher says, well, why on earth would we put a fork in your hand? And the woman said, I spent a lifetime 
going to church dinners, and when people started to clear the dishes away, somebody would always say, keep your fork. And as soon as they said, keep your fork, I knew there was something better coming. It was going to be a great big chocolate cake or a, a Dutch apple pie, or if you're in East Texas, nanner pudding. Amen. Got an amen for nanner pudding. <clears throat> and she said, but I want you to have my casket open and have a fork in my hand so that when people ask you, preacher, what's up with a fork? You can tell them that she knew there were better things coming. And that's who we are as followers of Jesus. This life is not it. We have moments where it's a grind, right? These moments where it's kids, work, house, kids, work, house, kids, work, house, kids, work, house, and just rinse and repeat, right? And we have these moments where we're going, is this really what everything is about? And the answer is no. It's about serving your risen Savior and the idea that the best is yet to come. That's what it means to be an Easter people. That's what it means for us to live on this side of Easter. So keep your fork, y'all. The best is yet to come. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for books in the Bible like Ecclesiastes, ones that make us struggle, ones that make us think, Father, make us bold to pick those up and read them <clears throat> and think about them. Father, we give you thanks that we are an Easter people and that we know that our time here on earth is to be about loving our neighbor, to be about serving you, to be about walking with you, in the confidence that we are forgiven. Father, we thank you that the best is yet to come, that there is a time when we will see you face to face, where we will walk fully in your presence. For that, we give you thanks and praise. Father, make us bold to share the word with people in our lives, people that don't know that grace, that don't understand that the best is yet to come. Help us to reach out to them in love and concern that we may be beacons of your love and grace for the world. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.